Amen. Amen. As, uh, as we're sort of in the second, second week of this uh, little series that um, through the book of 1 Thessalonians, and uh, the whole essence of uh, the letter that Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonica is about the good news, the good news, the gospel. And uh, he's reminding this uh, young church about what the gospel means. And in this world that we live in, there's often times when there isn't a lot of good news. Well, this letter is about the good news and the defense of the good news. Now, Thessalonica, Mick just helped us a little bit of introduction last week in understanding the city and so on. Paul planted the church initially, uh, and now he's writing back to them, probably on his secondary missionary journey. That's what they think. He was probably in Corinth at the time that he wrote this letter. And he's reminding this young church who have gone through a few trials about the gospel, about what they have signed up to. And he loves these people. But as you get Paul's heart, he, he's not coming just as this big speaker who's going to uh, tell them what for. He constantly loves them. It's so important to in church life to know that we are loved. Do you know what? We live, even in our day, we can feel very isolated in church existence. It can feel like we just come along, we do our thing, we sing our songs, we hear some notices, we hear somebody waffle, we go home, and that's it. That's what it can feel like. And actually, as you hear Paul's heart, as he speaks to these, this, this young church, you hear his love for them. So we all need to know that we are loved. Trev reminded us that God loves us, and that's absolutely true, and that is the consistent love that we can feel. But actually, we need to know that we're in a company of people that love us and are for us. And so as Paul's writing to the Thessalonians, he's wanting to remind them of his love for them, but he's also reminding them of actually the second coming. That's the biggest theme I see in Thessalonians, is his his. his Hard to remind them that Jesus is coming again. And Trev, you even referred to it in, in us taking communion this morning. It isn't just about what Jesus has done on the cross. It's just about our forgiveness of sin. But it is about reminding ourselves there is a day coming when Jesus will return and will wrap up everything that we know that's around us. And a new heaven and a new earth will be in existence. It's about the hope. And these guys, they're going through some difficulties and some challenges and he's reminding them of this good news that Jesus is coming again. Let's read. Let's read. Um, I've put it on the thing for you, Elaine. Let's just read chapter 2, 1 to 13. Uh, we'll go through it first, and then we'll, we'll come back and sort of pick out the verses as we go through. But this is what Paul says to the church in Thessalonica. You know, brothers, that our visit to you was not a failure. We have previously suffered and been insulted in Philippi, as you know. But with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in spite of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as men approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please men, but God who tests our hearts. You know, we never use flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. 
We were not looking for praise from men, not from, uh, not from you or anyone else. As apostles of Christ, we could have been a burden to you, but we were gentle among you, like a mother caring for her little children. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you have become so dear to us. Do you get his heart for these guys? Surely you remember, brothers, our toil and our hardship. We worked night and day in, not, in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You are our witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God. That's the headline. Who calls you into his kingdom and glory. And we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as it, it actually is the word of God, which is at work in you who believe. Amazing story. If we just go back to verse one, uh, Elaine, and we'll work our way around it. Paul's heart for this church is not that they receive this gospel message. If you look back at the, Mick read the passage last week in Acts 17 of when the church was planted. And if you actually look at the text there, it seems, or most theologians believe, that Paul was probably only there for about three weeks. He talks about preaching on three Sabbaths and, and then disappearing quickly because of opposition. And so in this moment, when these guys received the gospel, they were birthed into this new life with God, this new church, this new expression of understanding who God is. And I believe they witnessed both the power of preaching, the power of the word, if you like, but also the power of the spirit. And in church life, we can often find we can edge towards one way or the other. You can be very word-based, love the word, get into the word. What does the word say to us? And we want to be a church like that. We believe this is the word of God to us. This is what he has revealed through the ages to believers. But if we just are word people, we miss out on what the Spirit says. And we want to be a spirit people as well. And, and, and you can be very spirit-led, which can be a little wacky. It can be a little bit off-piste. And you find churches that love the Spirit but sort of jettison the Word. Actually, but as a church, we want to be both strong in the Word and strong in the spirit. And if I, if I had any warning to us, I believe that our life in the spirit is the thing that we will lose more quickly than perhaps the life in the word. Because life in the spirit is slightly less predictable. By the very nature of who the Holy Spirit is, he does things, he says things, he reveals things to us that we perhaps wouldn't have thought through. When we've got the word, we can read it through and understand it and, and challenge it and question it. The life in the spirit is something that actually the Holy Spirit just speaks to us. And as we gather as on a, in a gathered group, whether it be on a Sunday, in our connect groups, on a prayer meeting, wherever it is, 
I don't want us to be a people. I'd love us to be a people that still are strong in the Spirit. So Holy Spirit, what are you saying to us today? Is, as we've had scriptures, as we've had uh, encouragements this morning, we're saying, Holy Spirit, what is it you've got for these people right today in this moment in time? Don't want to just be word people. Don't want to just be spirit people. We want to be, I can't remember who said it, we want to be in the radical middle. I think it might be Rick Warren or somebody like that. About being in the radical middle, both radically spirit-filled, radically strong in the word. So as Paul is writing to this church, they've had this experience. He's writing to them because he's concerned about them, because they are young believers. These are you baby new Christians. These are people who haven't perhaps had the experience that many of us have had in this room of walking with God for a long time, walking in or being in churches that have been strong and healthy. These are new believers. And he wants them to know that in their new life with Christ, there will be things that happen because of their faith. Paul and Silas and Timothy who were with them at the time when they planted, they understood what this Christian life looked like living with opposition. It was part of the deal. We're preaching this gospel. There is always going to be opposition that's coming. And these new believers are having to work out, well, what does that mean for us? Actually, did I sign up for that? Very easy, isn't it, on a Sunday morning? It's just like, anybody want to appeal for the gospel? Yes, let's hands up in the air. Oh, by the way, opposition's coming. That's, that's the reality. And Paul knew that. He knew and understood that as a believer, opposition would come. And he's helping these young believers to see that. So let's go. Let's work our way through. Let's just pick up a few things as we go along. So he starts, you know, brothers, that our visit to you was not a failure. Or if you've got another Bible version, it might say was not in vain. What he's trying to, he's trying to defend, actually, even the short time I had with you, I want you to know it wasn't wasted. It wasn't a flash in the pan moment. You know, often appearances can be very deceiving. You know, who was this Paul? He just pulled into town. He was there for three weeks. He dived away. Paul, we, didn't, we thought you'd be with us. So often in the world with our lives with God, appearances can be really deceiving. That can often be things that, we think they are this, but they're actually something else. You know, God, probably the biggest moment we've celebrated it this morning of what we thought might happen actually was the opposite. You think about the cross and what it stood for and all that happened to the casual observer watching in on this Jesus who had radically changed so many lives, ending up on the cross. Was like, we didn't see that. That wasn't the plan. Right, Jesus, you, you, you're the Messiah. You're coming back. You're going to rule and reign. You're the one who's going to do it all. The scriptures have said about it. And here you are on a cross. You see, the appearance of what was going on was very different to the reality. Surely it was a failure. Appearances often in church life can be very different to what you think is happening. And what appears to be bad what appears to be difficult actually is for positive, is for good. And so even in the midst of pain and suffering, there is good that God can bring out of it. 
It's often said, isn't it, that most, most maturing in our lives happens in the valley, not on the mountaintop. It's where the fertile soil is in, in the valley. It's in the difficult times. We were only talking yesterday, day before, about our time at, in Dorchester when Jeff was leading us. And probably that was one of the toughest five years of our lives because Jeff was on us all the time, just teaching us and provoking us and, you know, stirring us up. And those guys who were with us in Dorchester will remember those days. But actually, even in that moment, we knew that we had grown massively. Things don't appear as you expect them. Jesus' birth. Who would you go to as the first people to announce that the king of the world, the saviour, had been born? Let's go to the wise, let's go to the wealthy, let's go to the influential. No, no. Let's go to the shepherds. Let's go to the shepherds. You imagine the angels in heaven, they've been waiting for this day, right? Where are we going? We're going to shepherds on a hillside. The people who are despised, the people that nobody cares about. Even today, shepherds, if you're a shepherd, I guess you're not going to climb the corporate ladder very quickly. Things in God's world often look very different than what appears on the surface. Even Joseph, remember the story of Joseph? And his brothers, you remember when the brothers finally come to see Joseph in Egypt and he says to them, when, when Pharaoh asks you what you do for a living, he says to them, say that you are shepherds. Interesting that even in that moment, and he says it because he knows that Pharaoh, oh, they're just shepherds, they're, they're nobodies. If I was going to bring good news about the king, He's going to save the world. I wouldn't have chosen the route that God chose. And Paul here is defending his life with these Thessalonians, saying, actually, what you might have seen may be not what you thought, but actually it was for your good. Goes on to verse two. We have previously suffered and been insulted in Philippi, as you know. But with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in spite of strong opposition. Paul and Silas, you know the story, been thrown into jail in Philippi. They've been whipped. They've been flogged. They've been thrown into the darkest, dingiest cell. And at midnight, the other prisoners are hearing them praising God, singing, worshipping. And in that amazing miracle, the chains fall off, the doors fly open, God releases them. They've just been through this experience for preaching the gospel. But did it stop them? Oh, no, no, no. Well, let's go on. Let's go to Thessalonica. Let's do it all again. And I imagine as they arrived, they came with still scars on their backs, still with the pain of all that happened to them and they were still willing to go again and again and again i think if it would be me i would want to change my tactics okay maybe maybe we won't be quite so public maybe we'll just you know sort of infiltrate the community have a few chats quietly over a coffee in costa and just you know try and find a few people but no 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 he said no we we've just been in this situation where pain has been and we wanted to come to you and do it 
all again. We didn't let what's happened before stop us coming to preach to you. Knowing that actually we will probably get in trouble again for preaching this gospel. I wonder whether they even had in their minds when they came of, well, maybe this might be our last time. Maybe this, maybe next time it won't be, it won't be jail. Maybe it will be. I wonder whether that was in their hearts. I'm sure, I'm sure that they were perhaps expecting that. And as, as we see their heart to keep coming and keep preaching, you have to reflect on your own life. I reflect on my own life. Is it actually, am I willing to do that? Am I willing to go again? Knowing actually this is going to be painful. Knowing this is going to cost me. Knowing this is going to perhaps lose friendships over it. Relationships. Whatever. Paul's heart was to preach this good news no matter what the cost. And as a church, that's what we're called to do. As believers, that's what we're called to do. We're to go again. And to go again and to go again. And I think well, what was what was Paul's heart, what was his motivation to be able to do that? And I think it is birthed out of his face-to-face encounter with Jesus. For those of us who are believers in this room this morning, we have encountered the risen Christ. We have encountered him. He has broken in through our hard hearts. And has revealed himself to us. He's given us faith as a gift that we can respond to him. Say, Lord, yes, I see who you are. I see what you've done. He's done it. He's opened the way. We've encountered him. And because we've encountered him, we have lives that are like Paul's. A sense of recklessness about it because it is all about you, Jesus. That's why he did it. It's where our boldness comes from. A sense of reckless abandon. Do you know what? Men can do their worst to you. They can. Men, as in the world. Men and women can do their worst to you. But it's not the worst that can happen to you. We can be ridiculed for this gospel. But it's not the worst thing that will ever happen to us. The enemy will do everything he can to stop us. And we have to go again and go again. Verse 3. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as men approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please men, so important, but God who tests our hearts. So there were people probably traveling around in Paul's day that were, were preaching all sorts of messages for all sorts of impure motives, all sorts of dodgy reasons. And Paul, is, is, he's, like, he's referring to them. He said, look, we're not doing it because we want to make money out of this. We're not doing it because we want to be famous. We're not doing it because we want your adoration. We're doing it because Jesus has encountered our lives and you need to hear this message. Paul went through so many things that you're aware of. It's shipwrecked, floating in a sea on a piece of wood for three days. He met bandits. He 
you know, all sorts of trials, massive trials came to Paul. You think, well, why would you do that unless you were absolutely convinced this was the right thing to do? I think even if somebody laid down, a, you know, a whole watch of money, I don't think I'd sign up for that. I don't think Paul would sign up for that. It's not in his job description. He didn't want to do it for impure motives. He knew the danger of this life. And he was out to serve God in it. If people don't receive the gospel, it's not your issue. Hear that? People don't receive the gospel, it's not your issue. That's between them and God. And I think that was how Paul, he managed to get that in his heart, in his head. I know when I've spoken to people and you and they said, no, 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 no. You can feel that rejection, don't you? It's that they're rejecting me. They're rejecting me. They don't like me. Paul says, I'm not out to please men. If you become a man pleaser, a people pleaser in this gospel life, you'll be dead. It will spit you up and spew out. It, honestly, it will. If we're here to have people love us and we all like to be liked. I like to be liked. I do like to be liked. Please like me. We do. We like to be liked. But actually the gospel, as we present it, will result sometimes in people not liking us. Will result in a sense of war. But Paul knew that he was up against this, but he didn't let it stop him. He repeats the same phraseology in verse 5. You know that we never use flattery, nor do we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We are not looking for praise from men, not from you or for anybody else. If this message doesn't make you happy, well, I'm sorry, but that is the message. The message is that God loves you and he's for you. And if you don't receive that, well, that's actually not my issue. The biggest issue for us is that we are people full of grace. Grace triumphs over everything. I speak about it. I will keep speaking about it. I will keep reminding us of this church. We need to be people full of grace. Full of grace. Don't lose the spirit. Don't lose grace in our heart. We lose grace. We run by law. We run by moralistic lifestyles. We've lost it. We are under grace. Jesus has done it all. He has done it all. He's paid for my sin. He's paid for your sin. He's done it all. We need to be grace people. As apostles of Christ, we could have been a burden to you. What he means by that is we could have been a financial burden to you. We could have come and demanded that you pay us because we're coming to serve you for the day for a few weeks and we want you to, you know, have a whip round. These are brand new believers. You say, I don't want your money. I don't want any of that stuff. That just gets in the way. I just want you to receive this good news that we have to bring to you. We don't want to do anything that we do in church life that is a burden to those that we are serving. We want to be a blessing to people. We want to help them. We don't want to hurt them. And we get this 
start with this picture that Paul brings of, refers firstly to a mother. We, but verse 7, we were gentle among you. We were gentle among you. We were gentle among you. Not in your face. Not causing havoc. But we were gentle among you like a mother caring for her little children. You picture that scene of a mum with a baby. That moment of perhaps new birth. Just caring, loving, cuddling, holding, feeding, gentle, caring. Paul, even though he's impassioned, even though he's, his heart's pumping for the gospel to be preached, he came with such love and such tenderness and such gentleness. Like a mother caring for his baby, for her baby. This is a good message. We want you to believe it. Paul's sensitive to how people received him. He wasn't all bluster. But he wanted to come amongst this, this group of people and care for them. What, is, what does our lives look like in caring for people? Are we gentle people? Get alongside and help one another. Are we people that love like a mother loves a baby? I remember my first trip into Zimbabwe. And um, whenever you do a sort of trip like, like I had, into a, a nation that is so needy um, uh, and you can have almost you can go with a sort of mindset of um, we have so much well we do we have so much here don't we I mean you have so we are so richly blessed and you go into a nation that has relative little and yet their care for me was extraordinary. Their care, their love, their willing to do whatever they could. And I'm starting, you know, I started to feel uncomfortable. I'm just like, I, I should be caring for you. I've got, you know, we want to bless you. We're, that's what we're here for. We want to bless you. And they, these people who have nothing, and they, they, they just wanted to do whatever they could to make me feel honoured and at home. And then you see how they care for one another. And, and I tell you, the church looks totally different. It looks, it's not like us. No, we're a different culture. We're in different contexts. So you can't just transport what works here into there. I get, I get that. But you see something that is uniquely different. And I'm, and I'm coming back and I'm thinking, we've got so much to learn. We've had these people, this, this whole sense of Paul being amongst them and with them and in their lives. And, it, you know, not just seeing them one Sunday to the next Sunday, but just, just being around together and we do life together. That's, that's what it was. That's what Paul was experiencing. And I saw a little bit of that 
when I was with these guys in Zimbabwe. And I think we've got so much to learn of what life looks like together and how we do it. Verse 9, he carries on. Surely you remember, brothers, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. We worked night and day. So what would have happened is that Paul in the day, he would have been ministering the gospel to the believers and to those around listening. And then at night, he probably would have gone off. You remember Paul was a tent maker? He probably would have tried to find the local tent making business. And he would have worked hard, perhaps for most of the night, maybe get a few hours sleep in the early morning before he would then minister again. And he'd do that so he wasn't this financial burden, wasn't a burden to them. They worked hard. That was their devotion to them. But actually, we're doing this for your good. Verse 10, you are our witnesses, and so God, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you. And now he starts to turn from this picture of this caring mother to the father. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children. Now, if you've been a dad, uh, or if you've had a dad around when you were growing up, I'm sure most of us have had that point where it's been said to our children, you wait until dad gets home. You wait until dad gets home. So the, sort of the picture here is that the mother brings the care and the, and the, the love and the and the sort of moment of, of reassurance. But somehow dad's role is about bringing correction. It's about bringing, just straightening up a few things. And often that would be happening when, when I'd come in from work and Catherine would tell me what's happened during the day. And so, okay, right, line them up. Here we go. It's just, that's, that's the role of a father sometimes. You know, Father, I think, I, think, I think Dad does sometimes the fun stuff. That's crazy stuff. Love doing all of that. But actually, a lot of my role, as we saw our kids grow up, was actually helping shape them, helping bring some correction to... Mum does that as well, but I think Dad, Dad's actually, when they do that and do it well, do it with good heart, in love, actually, it's for the child's good. And so Paul is saying, look, I loved you and cared for you like a mother. But I also need to sometimes bring some correction. And I love how, how Paul writes it, encouraging you, comforting you, and urging you. Do you know what? Sometimes urging does look a little bit like correction. Doesn't it? If you do it passionately, I'm urging you, come on. What are you doing? It feels like correction. I think experience in church life in the Western world is often we love it when we get the mothering, cuddling, looking after us stuff. I haven't been around for two or three weeks and somebody phones me up, say, hey, Steve, how are you doing? Just want to make sure you're okay. We love you. We miss you. We like that. We feel cuddling. But actually, often when we come and say, hey, why are you? living like that or you know we just want to urge you to 
generally, I have found that most people don't like that bit so much. But the shepherd and his staff, he cared for his sheep. He took his sheep to green pastures because he loves them. He wants to feed them. He wants to care for them. But his staff often is also used to, hey, come on, sheep, you're getting a little bit out of line. Jab. Come on. Need to go this way. Jab. The, sh- the staff was for their good because the shepherd loves the sheep. And as leaders, when leaders come and correct and challenge you, it's not because they want to jab you to cause you pain. It's because they care for you. They love you. And Paul's heart for this church was, I want you to know what is right for you. And so there will be times when I write to you, when I'm with you, that it will feel like the jab of the staff in your side. Church, we need to be open to that. Not just from our leaders, but from those around us who care for us. To be able to speak into our lives and not get defensive. And not so who are you? But actually to receive, okay, Lord, what is it you want to say to me in these moments? What is it you are opening my heart to? Actually, is there things here I need to hear or things that I need to jettison? We need to be gentle people who love one another. But as we bring sometimes a sense of urging and correction, we do it in love and good heart. If we do it out of frustration because somebody's not doing what we want them to do, honestly, that will just end badly. It will end really, really badly. And it has ended badly in, in, in life. But we do it because we love one another. Paul was encouraging them to live real and sincere lives with each other. He was encouraging them in this message of good news. His life was a reflection of the cross. And I often think about, Paul writes it a few times, about imitating him. In faith, I see. Would I? Could I? Could I ever say, guys, imitate me? Because I just know what my life's like, and it's not great. At times, it's shocking. And and I guess if you look at your lives and you think, there's probably bits that, you know, I wouldn't want anybody to know or see. Every one of us in this room, thoughts, whatever it is. But I know, I know, I know in my heart that I learn from those who are around me. As I watch, as I listen, as I rub shoulders with. And I want every one of you to know that you have some impact on someone else because of the way that you live your life. It has a reflection of the cross as you go about your day-to-day world. And Paul He doesn't finish this passage at this point, but this is where we're finishing this morning. He says this. We also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not because Steve Hunter has said it to you this morning. Because Mick Richardson said it last week and whoever else will speak on these words. Not accepted it because... We've got wise words or great counsel to you because we, we do our best. But we have received it 
because it is the word of God. Not a word of men, but the word of God, which is at work in you who believe. The word of God. The word of God is at work. It's at work. It's at work. It's at work. It's at work in you who believe. It's not dormant. It's not dead. It's at work. Sometimes it works a bit better than others. Moments. But it's at work. It's at work. Should we pray? Father, we... Lord, as we just see this narrative, and, and, and this passage is really narrative, it's, it's, it's Paul telling this church about his heart for them and his defense of his preaching of the gospel to them. And Lord, sometimes when we look at narrative passages, it's hard just to find the bits that you need to speak to us. But Lord, if anything in this passage, it's about the word of God at work in those who believe. It's the gospel of grace that's come to us. And as we receive this grace, as we receive this grace message, as we receive all that you have for us, Lord, we want to be people like Paul who, despite pain, despite opposition, despite incredible hardships, still live this life. Lord, in all its confusion and all its uncertainty, but with reckless abandon to the gospel of grace that we have been shown. And so, Father, I pray that you'd make us a people that love those around us, love being with us. Lord, that our lives wrapped up in each other in a way that is encouraging and supporting, but also at times correcting and straightening out, not because we want to cause pain, but because we love one another. We love those around us. So, Lord, please help us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.